Welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance sports training. It's end of December. Everybody's on holidays. We thought we would try something different today. So I have always said, I wish I could take our first 10 episodes of Fast Talk and go and burn them because we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't have the equipment. We didn't know how to edit. We didn't know how to talk. So I have didn't always know how to talk. <laughs> yeah, you'll see. If you listen to the intro, it sounds like Trevor is in an echoey cavern of death and despair. So also known as the Vela News Conference Room. Was yeah, that probably not, yeah. not, not too far off the truth? So we're gonna not burn them, but we thought what would be fun is let's take one of those original episodes. Let's replay it. It's only a 22-minute episode because back then we didn't think anybody would listen longer than 15, 20 minutes. And we are going to let you listen to it and then pipe in. It's been seven years since that episode and talk about what's new, what's different, what would we say differently, what would we update about the episode. If you're an endurance athlete, the status of your GI system stretches further than just your overall health. It directly impacts athletic performance. Tune in to Fast Talk Femmes episode 123 to listen as Dr. Alan Lim sheds light on groundbreaking GI information that every coach and athlete can benefit from to leverage and optimize their nutrition plan. Check it out at fasttalklabs.com. So guys, excited for this? Any thoughts before we, we play the original? Right before you went on air, you gave us permission to basically... Call it a flaming pile of poop. <laughs> yes. I don't know what the words were, but you gave us permission to pick on you and it. And so we're ready. I think we're all ready. We're ready. Okay. Rob, are you ready? <laughs> I listened to the episode and I feel bad for everyone else that has to listen to it right now. But hey, good luck with that. And we'll be returning soon. Wow. Wait till you get my intro read. It was exciting if you like a monotone voice. <laughs> nice. It was Trevor talking in a very metered and cadenced speech. I can't think off the top of my head. Okay, bye. <laughs> With that, here is episode three. Stay tuned afterwards to hear our commentary, probably very colorful. Or episode. just fast forward to that commentary. Yeah. Boom. Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. I mean, what a lot of people do is just say, okay, I've only got six hours, so I'm going to go do six high-intensity workouts. And we've already addressed nah. that that's not the nah, way to go. No, no, no. It's any extreme is dangerous, and if you do that, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's training, nutrition, religion, or whatever. You need you need the balance. You need a periodized training program, and you need periodized nutrition to support that. Welcome back to Fast Talk, the VeloNews Performance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Coach Trevor Connor, here with VeloNews Senior Editor Kaylee Fretz. Today, we'll delve into part two of our series on how to structure your training. As we were just reminded by Dr. John Hawley, one of the preeminent researchers in exercise science, it's always about balance. In part one of this series, we covered the principles of a balanced training program, why you see the best results from a mix of intensity and slow training, and why there's such a thing as too much intensity from a physiological standpoint. We also touched on periodization, which is all about manipulating that balance of volume and intensity throughout your season in order to get your peak performance at the right times. In this part two episode, we'll take those principles from part one and talk about the execution. We'll explore ways to map out your week, your month, and touch on how to best execute both your intensity work and your long slow volume. And of course, for all of us with jobs and families, we'll talk about how to do this if you only have six to 10 hours to train each week. Dr. Hawley, who's also the head of the Exercise and Nutrition Research Group at Australian Catholic University, will help us along the way. And we'll also hear from former U.S. National Masters Champion, Chris Phipps. Let's make you fast. Kayla, you tell me, now that you don't have the, the sort of time to train that you used to have, what have you found that works? I think works is relative. <laughs> I haven't seen, you know, I I haven't seen the power numbers of my racing days in a long time. Um, but that said, I, I am relatively close and have managed to, to ride relatively well, despite the work. I would say the highlight would be 
raced Leadville a couple years ago after covering the Tour de France. I had a bike with me and was riding sort of an hour, hour and a half at a time um, and managed a pretty good ride at Leadville anyway. And for me, the key has always been get out for a big day when I can. Call it shock and awe training where I just sort of try to shock my body into remembering what it feels like to ride for five hours. Uh, And I may only get to do that once a month or so. The rest of the time, you know, I don't do a lot of uh, focused training anymore, but if I was focusing on a race, I probably would. I would say my average week is, you know, a couple lunch rides. I hit the uh, the Thursday throwdown with the Panache guys here in Boulder and then try to get a big ride on the weekend. Is Am I on the right track? What you brought up there to me is part a really important part of the question of what are you trying to do with your fitness? There is a ton you can do with six to eight hours a week, especially if you say, I just want to do well at the local lunch ride or I want to race crits. If you're building up to doing a a five-day large stage race and you're training six hours a week, you might want to rethink that. You're not really going to be able to build that form. But there is a lot that you can do. Hmm. So what does all this mean? What should you be doing? Yeah, break this down for me. So give give me an average week. I think that would be most helpful. So I would start with mapping out your high intensity work. Plan on two high intensity sessions during the week and and they should not be back to back. So maybe you do one on Tuesday and one on Friday or one on Tuesday, one on Thursday. It's usually pretty popular to do the high intensity work during the week because that's when you work and you might be stuck on a trainer for an hour or you might be stuck doing a lunchtime ride. So high intensity work is a great thing to do when I've only got an hour to get on the bike. Let's go out and do it. And a hard group ride or interval session or whatever, any of those work? I think hard group rides are great, but go out to ride them hard. I always tell my athletes, race smart on the weekends, race hard during the week. So if you go to a group ride, (laughs) don't sit in and save your energy till the end. Attack. Go in breakaways. Blow yourself up because that's more like the interval work and let the group motivate you. For those of us who work, that's a really great balance. Get the two interval sessions in a week. Don't do more than that. I I watched this winter at this, uh, these trainer sessions I was doing in the morning. I watched some of the athletes and I really admired their dedication, but they were coming in four days a week doing intervals every single morning. And again, what you were seeing is they were very rapidly burning out. By the time they got to my session, which was Thursday, they couldn't even finish it and they weren't getting stronger. So two is right. You're actually going to see greater gains with less. And then if you have the time, you still get that benefit for the long, slow volume. A lot of us on the weekends, we can get up a little early and go out and get that three, four, five-hour ride. And you get those three things, it's going to work out to about seven, eight hours a week, which is pretty manageable. You're going you're gonna to hit that PGC alpha pathway from both the long, slow volume side and from the high intensity side, and, and you're going to maximize the, the time. We caught up with Chris Phipps, who's a former Masters National Champion, and as a Masters National Champion, did so with a job. And so we asked him about how he maintained his training schedule with limited time. My volume isn't as much as a lot of guys, which is easy easy to compare on something like Strava. You look at all your competitions now, oh, this guy's training 20 hours a week or this guy's doing 15 hours a week. But I generally try to hit 12 most of the time during the season and I average like 10 hours a week during the whole year. You know, usually after work, it's just either an hour or 90 minutes most days and then get in a couple long rides in the weekend. But yeah, I think if you can get one four-hour-plus ride in, or you know, say like two of those every three weeks, that's pretty good. And also with the longer daylight, like we can do that ride and then add on the one weeknight I'm out kind of long, you know, like two to three hours, you know, so it's intensity and a little more endurance. And then yeah, just, you know, it's more daylight. And I guess I usually just do like two, two longer nights during the week. Whereas during base season, I'm pretty short every night during the week. But um, yeah, during the season, I try to get at least two hours twice a week, you know, and then do the longer stuff on the weekends. So Trevor, we talked earlier about the polarized model and how it's being used by a lot of pros, but does it really work for your average cyclist or average amateur cyclist? Is it a a model that we can apply to our own lives and training? Yeah, that's a good question. And certainly they've been showing in all endurance sports, your top definitely polarized their training. And they've even been showing that at amateurs, they seem to see greater gains with a more polarized model. That being said, 
when they looked at the individual sports, cycling was a little bit different. Cyclists actually do a little more of that in-between training, which we would call threshold training. So where runners and rowers would just do very high intensity or very long, slow, cyclists are actually going to do more of a, a mix of about 77% low intensity, 15% threshold work, and only about 8% high intensity. Once they get into the season, the high intensity increases, the threshold comes down. In terms of what all this means and what the right balance is, Dr. Billet did a great study, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, where with runners, where they looked at what's the best mix of the different types of training. What they found worked best was four slow workouts during the week, one high intensity, so that's above threshold, short interval work, and one threshold workout per week produced the best gains. When they actually increased that to where they were just doing two continuous training, what they were calling continuous training, or that, that slow running during the week, multiple high-intensity sessions per week, and one threshold workout, they saw absolutely no greater gains, but all the signs of burnout started to appear. And frankly, these athletes just wouldn't have been able to keep it up for more than a few weeks. So it's really keeping that, that high-end work to two sessions per week is what keeps coming up. Dr. Holly had some thoughts to share with us on both polarized training and how much intensity work we really need. Yeah, Steve's done some great work on the polarized training. And that if you look at the rowers and the cyclists and probably even the runners, you know, there's this huge volume of, uh, I mean, let's just call it steady-state aerobic work. And, and it's peppered in between with very bits of high intensity or even super-maximal intensity. And again, that seems to be what works for the athlete. I'm not sure you need to to do intervals all year round. I'm not sure really how long you need to do intervals for. You know, if you want to get really, really sharp, my guess is you can probably do this in three to six weeks if you look at a periodized training program. But again, most athletes don't aim for one event like the Olympics. They've got races throughout the year. So it's quite different depending on the caliber of the athlete. So if you want an example of how important this balance is and just how much you want to avoid doing too much high-intensity work, you can look at the gold medalists in the 4,000-meter pursuit at the, the 2000 Sydney Olympics. They actually did a study on them, and it was amazing how they built up to that race, the riders on this German team. And it, wouldn't be, it wasn't what you would think. They actually did very, very high volume in the seven months building up. A lot of them were pros and were actually doing grand tours as a build-up to these Olympics. And it was only in the final eight days before the Olympics that they started doing very specific on-the-track, high-intensity work to get ready for the Olympics. And they won the gold medal. So what exactly do you mean by, by high-intensity work? I mean, that could be a lot of different things. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But typically what we're thinking about with high-intensity work and where you see some of the biggest gains is these very short intervals, like 15-second intervals, 20-second intervals, or, or one minute, 40-second, but typically a short interval with also a short recovery. Uh, you think of the Tabata-style intervals, which is 20 seconds going all out, then a 10-second recovery, then another 20 seconds going all out, and you keep repeating that for four or five minutes. So that's... till you puke. till you puke. <laughs> you could also do sprint-type work, and, and that sort of interval work is where you see some of the biggest gains. But there's actually another type of interval work that a lot of coaches and physiologists I've spoken to talk about threshold work, where you train just sub-threshold. Some coaches feel that's kind of the poor man's volume ride. If you can't go out and get a five-hour ride, go out and do some 20-minute intervals at just sub-threshold, like 95% of threshold, that that can compensate a little bit for volume. Not sure where I stand on that, but I will admit to you with a lot of athletes who don't have a ton of time, when we're really focused on building that endurance and, and I feel the, the volume's a little more important, I will mix in threshold work. So we know what that intensity, those intensity rides look like. They're a hard group ride or an interval session or whatever. What exactly does the, the big long weekend ride look like? So let's just, just for the sake of argument, you know, my threshold's 300 watts. What am I watching on my power meter for three and a half, four hours? So that's... That also depends on where you're at in the season. So when you're in the base, that ride should be going talking pace. 
Gotcha. And again, that's actually one where I've really struggled uh, with some of the the riders I'm working with who only have, or you know, they have full time jobs and only have six to eight hours. I'll go out and ride with them on the Saturday, and I'm the one sitting there yelling, "Slow down! You're killing me!" You go out in January and they're trying to put out 240 watts for four hours. When I say it's slow, it is slow. So, for example. If your threshold was 300 watts, you should be going out in January and February at 150, 160 watts. Mm. So we're talking, you get same thing, heart rate. If your threshold heart rate was 170 or let's say your max heart rate's in the 180s, 190s, we're talking riding at about a 130 heart rate. Gotcha. But as you get closer to the season, especially as you get into the season, you start racing, that's where you can start upping the intensity a little bit. And especially as you start getting close to the race season, Go out and do the group rides. Hmm. Go out and get for your long ride a little more intensity in it where you're more in that sweet spot zone. That gives you that race specificity. So you aren't suddenly going from riding four hours at 160 watts to trying to hang on at Mm -hmm. 240, 250 watts. So that really depends on the time of the year. We asked Dr. Hawley about the benefits of long rides, how frequently we really need them, and if it's possible to compensate for long rides if you simply don't have the time. Now, look, there's certainly in any, I guess, in any sort of seven to 10 day period, I'd always put one, you know, long, longish ride or longish running. And if you go out, the longer you go, the more you tend towards free fatty acid oxidation. But, but again, you've got to remember that unless you're doing a five hour ride race at that pace, it doesn't necessarily help racing all it does is build up extra capillaries again it gets the muscle used to using fat and turning on beta oxidation and all these you know adaptations of the muscle which you know about so yes that there, there is a point to that but again when i send in the articles you'll see that if it's a race situation at the end of the day even if it's a three-hour race it's carbohydrate dependent and not fat dependent having said that having the ability to utilize fat at the highest rates possible uh, is an advantage uh, in in long endurance events but again the goals of the person and the race in mind so the answer to your question is i i would think every seven to ten days there should be one very long ride in there absolutely and again depending on the ability level of the person that might be two hours for someone it might be five or six for you know someone who's been in the sport a lot longer the great New Zealand coach, Arthur Lydiard, you know, coached uh, probably half a dozen Olympic gold medalists. He'd even have runners like Peter Snell, who won the 800 and 1500, doing very long Sunday morning runs, sometimes up to 20 miles. And Snell, if you talk to him now, I know Peter reasonably well, he'd say, look, I'm not, not quite sure why I was doing it at the time. But now, you know, he's an exercise physiologist at Southwestern Texas. And he said, look, you know, now I know the physiology behind this. The other thing that the rides do is go through the whole fiber population if you just go out and ride for an hour yeah you'll tap into some slow twitch fibers and you do this and you do that but by going along and almost going to exhaustion at that submaximal pace you are then asking the muscles to recruit the slow twitch fibers the fast twitch a and the fast twitch b and unless you do very high intensity intervals i don't think you do that so you've got two ways of tapping into that fiber population either go long and slow to exhaustion or, or basically, you know, do high intensity and wipe them all out anyway. So I think another advantage of the long, long ride uh, is to is to get all the fibers active. And at the end of those rides, you know, you're calling on fibers like the two A's and two B's, which aren't that used or aren't that good to do in that endurance. And I think that's an important thing as well to to make sure that all the all the fiber population has been recruited and has that potential to to use as much fat as it actually can. The two B fiber isn't very good at that, but um, use use everything you've got type thing and that's another reason for doing a long ride we often do rides to exhaustion in the lab and they're fine for the first hour you get to the second hour it gets a bit tougher and you get to the third hour the workload hasn't changed but of course the fiber recruitment has and 2b fibers don't like working at 250 watts they prefer working at 550 for 30 seconds so it's a really hard ask of the muscle but only by using the muscle and driving it to that point do you actually recruit it so i think it's a vital reason and yeah you, you You've already hit on it, but most people forget that, and and I think that's a very important reason. In fact, I put that right up there as with with fat burning, the recruitment pattern is vital. Do you think they can 
produce a lot of the gains if they simply don't have the time for a longer ride or is there just no way to substitute yeah. for the long ride? I think, I think that's a great question because, again, most people are asking for the minimum that they can do rather than the maximum they can right. do. And I, Look, you may not on an hour and a half training hit – a hundred percent of your genetic potential, but you'll be, you know, you'll be 94, 95% close. So I'm a case in point. I, you know, I was competitive. I don't have four or five hours to train now. I have an hour or an hour and a half at the most. So I have to make it work. And, you know, a typical session is 40, 40 minute warm up on the bike and then 10 times one minute as flat out as I can with a minute recovery. And I know when I go overseas, I've just been, you know, for another 10 days, I come back and providing I can maintain the intensity while I'm overseas, I come back and I'm pleasantly surprised. So uh, again, I think you can, I think you can get good bang for the buck. Another big mistake that I often see athletes makes is, is to do the same thing every single week. Our bodies are really good at adapting to whatever we throw at them. And once our bodies get used to something, they go, well, why am I going to adapt anymore? I can handle this. So you'll see initial gains, but if you're doing the same two interval sessions and long ride every week, you're going to plateau very rapidly. So you need to have weeks where you really beat yourself up. And, and this is where you can see some of your biggest gains. And it actually, I find it really works well with the athletes that I have that, that have a family and have full-time jobs. So most of the weeks we just say, let's get done what you can get done. If you can only train five, six hours per week, that's fine. But what I ask for is about once a month, every four or five weeks, I, I want you to find three, four days in a row where you tell the family, sorry, you're not going to see much of me. You, you find the time with work and you go out and you do some good volume and some good intensity. So I'll start with like a good format that'll give somebody is Thursday, we'll do intervals uh, because you still have to go to work. And, and for pretty strong athletes, I might do intervals again on Friday, then Saturday, do a long, easy ride of four hours. And then Sunday, go and hit the group ride, explode, keep riding, get five hours in. And by the end of that week, and there's a lot of different ways to balance it, but by the end of that, that Sunday, you want to be limping home and saying, I'm pretty tired. And then the following week, you start by taking two, three days off. Another couple of days of riding easy, you let all that work you did sink in and you're going to come out of it at a higher level. And then you could have a few more weeks of just normal training. So it's a mini training camp, basically. Right. So I think it's pretty clear that I've been doing it all wrong. I think that's the most clear thing from the last 20 minutes of conversation. But relatively easy changes to make, I think. And, and I will certainly be adjusting my... <laughs> my weekly training to fit what we were talking about today. And I, and I think we can sum up the takeaways pretty quickly, right? I mean, balance is the key, both on a micro scale and a macro scale. So both within a, within a week and within a month and within your whole season. Run me through what that week and month should really look like in you know, one or two sentences. So if I had to summarize all this, it's yes, intensity can compensate for volume to a degree. But when it comes to intensity, more is not better. Two intensity sessions per week is ideal. Getting one long ride in per week really adds to those gains. And it's trying to balance everything. It's trying to balance it all together. And then in terms of your month, making sure you don't do the same thing week in, week out. Have that periodic week where you beat yourself up a little more, and then just as importantly, have the week after where you recover. The even more important question to agree is, what are you looking to do? Are you looking to really get stronger? Or are you just looking to have some fun? Because if you're just trying to have some fun, go and hit all the lunchtime rides. Go and hit the weekend ride. It might not necessarily always be the best training, but if you're enjoying it, what are you out there for? Well, that's Fast Talk. We're going to wrap up for the day. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. All right. I hope everybody kind of enjoyed that episode, somewhat enjoyed that episode, got something out of it. Survived. I had forgotten about our porn music in the beginning. Whoa. 
And the fact that our tagline was actually bad grammar that Chris never once corrected. If I remember correctly, that was you and or Kaylee asked an intern to record it and he just said something and it and stuck. Then we used it. <laughs> yeah. We used it for like a hundred episodes. Yes, I do remember that. Yep. The thing that I actually kind of liked about this that we used to do that I completely forgot was we would pull a really good clip from the guest and put it right at the start. Mm. And I don't know when we stopped doing that. You got to draw people in like that. The grab. Got to bring that back. I'm thinking about it. It was kind of nice. He's thinking about it. We might have it. to do it at some point. <laughs> yeah. For nearly two years, Fast Talk Laboratories has brought you the craft of coaching with Joe Friel, the ultimate resource to become a better, more successful and happier coach. We've bundled some of the most popular pieces of content from all 14 craft of coaching modules to reshare and what we're calling the Craft of Coaching with Joe Friel Coaches Picks, which includes a star-powered panel of featured experts like Dr. Stacey Sims, Dr. Andy Kirkland, Jim Miller, Victoria Brumfield, and Jim Rupford. This incredible library will provide a lasting legacy and guiding life for endurance coaches for many years to come. Check out the Craft of Coaching with Joe Friel Coaches Choice at FastTalkLabs.com. All right, so... So, so much for the good things. Yeah, Rob, <laughs> Grant, tear it apart. What do you think? I don't really have any major criticisms of it other than the surrounding external pieces. But then again, I can't really say anything because we recorded an episode recently where I forgot to bring a microphone when I was on the road remote. So I probably sounded <laughs> the same way you guys sounded. All right. It brought back memories. Oh, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the last thing in the world I would want anybody to do is replay some of the episodes of Off Course that I put out there in the world. So... I'm just going to wait. I'll chirp in with my thoughts. Well, I'm going to start with the first teardown of the episode, Trevor. And I do have to say that Veronique Bila is a girl, not yes, a guy. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, and good timing because we just did an episode on her and I referred to her as a man. Sure did. Oops. Yep. <laughs> I listened to that last night and I was trying to think of a good excuse when we recorded today. And I'm like, no, I just got to own this. That was just bad. Yeah, no, I will say, you know, it was a great episode on training. You know, you and Kaylee at the time did a good job. You had John Hawley on there, who is a, you know, a phenomenal researcher, a great, absolutely great resource. And I think that you covered a lot of the same training principles that we really ultimately are still talking about today, right? And I think that we all as uh, coaches or as self-coached athletes, maybe we change our training philosophy a little bit sort of year over year. And, and so Trevor, I'm interested, hopefully in this update, to hear how you would have done things differently because a lot of this was sort of Coach Connor giving advice uh, you know, to Kaylee at the time. But ultimately, hey, the conversation revolved around the importance of riding it at base at a, a zone two in a five zone model. Uh, that is still super important today. Uh, Dr. Holly mentioned that long rides are amazing for recruiting all of the muscle fibers and being able to train all of them in aerobic fashion. And, and that is still true today. And so, you know, the bones of the episode, I actually think we're spot on, but I do have a couple other things to call you out on, but I'll let you uh, get a word in now. Yeah, I was actually surprised. I was expecting to listen to a whole bunch of stuff and go, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Where actually, I think if this was the episode where we introduced certain themes like polarized training. This was the first episode we talked about it. I even mentioned PGC1 Alpha, which Chris still gets a laugh out of. <laughs> Yes, it's been mentioned so many times, so many times. There were fundamental concepts we introduced at a very high level in this episode that still carry through Fast Talk, even 290, or I guess it would be 296 episodes later. What really caught my attention, because I used to do the editing, I was a writer for Vela News at the time and did the episode like an article. Mm -hmm. What you kind of can and can't tell in the episode was that was not one recording. It was definitely not one recording in order. It was four different recordings where I treated it like an article and just spliced out a piece here and put that first and then spliced out another piece, put that second. The way I would build an article, even when we outlined the episode, I used the outline format I used for writing articles. And basically what we were trying to do with this episode was an audio version of an article. Mm. And that's what I really noticed. Well, that's, I mean, that's a bit, Rob alluded to this. That's what it sounded like. It sounded like, here's my advice. Here's how we want to do this. I think that if we were to do that episode now, it would be more 
let's look at the topic individually and break down the topic and kind of comp pros, cons, yeah, da, 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 da. I, I don't see the show as much as the advice column that it is was then or like here's the advice on training. But I will, you know, I do think what's interesting about this is how many years ago is this? Eight? This was 2016, so seven years ago. Seven years ago. I do think what's interesting is you're seeing this huge swing back right now to how important base is, as if we've all forgotten it. But there's sports scientists out there right now talking about how just is just the most important thing in the world and base and we've got to ride base. We So that stood up incredibly well. And it probably always will. I'll say one thing that didn't quite stand up as well for me was, you know, Trevor, and, and I know, and I think that maybe you still feel this way about training. And, and so I'm going to let you defend it. You had mentioned with the time crunched athlete that the big training block to be thrown in kind of once a month and then to take a recovery week after. But, you know, for the athlete to put aside a bunch of time and tell the family like, hey, you know, I got to disappear for a few days and to really ramp up volume and intensity you know, in my opinion, I really try to push for more consistency throughout a training cycle. And if I am in a big training block like that, especially with athletes who aren't well trained, at least to an elite level, I think it's really hard to do training blocks that really ramp up volume and intensity. And I very much try to pick one over the other, kind of like I mentioned in the block periodization episode for amateurs uh, with my side in there. See, that's something I still haven't changed. I am a big believer. I am a big believer in that fatigue block. I still do it with myself. I still do it with my athletes. I see huge gains out of that fatigue block. But yeah, I've noticed you on some other episodes talking about that and saying, I'd rather be consistent week to week. And and I mentioned that in this episode that I don't believe in every week should be the same. I think you need to have bigger weeks that fatigue you. I think you need to have weeks that are that are easier. And that's how I would periodize training. Yeah, and I guess my point isn't necessarily like everybody should be doing the exact same workouts and they should be doing exactly 10 hours every week, you know, and I think that there should be growth there. But I wouldn't ever have an athlete who is used to training eight to 10 hours a week on average suddenly throw in a gigantic fatiguing week that's 16 to 20 hours and involves a lot of climbing and and everything else. I think that oftentimes that potentially puts an athlete in a bad place. But I think that at this point, what we're ultimately talking about, maybe not is aging and and how the episode did, but just different coaching philosophies among people. Agreed. Grant, what do you think? Grant's like, plan out weeks? I don't know what my athlete's doing. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) So not true. (laughs) I I mean, I think that the point that gets missed in, in some of this with athletes is the rest of their lives, right? And so, I mean, we we were just talking about this in another context is that the influence of kids and job and family and vacations and all of those things, that's what's really going to alter everything. And so you have to play this puzzle in your planning of, okay, where does this week fit? And where does that week fit? And okay, I have a vacation with no real family responsibilities, which is rare if you have kids, but they, they come along where you can really go after that fatiguing block. And I think there's something to be said for that. Take advantage of the time when you can have it. But I think on the other side of that coin is like, as we have the holidays come up, I'm a huge proponent of just drop it. Don't do anything during the holidays. Spend time with the family. Even if it's family, you want to, you know, choke out because you have (laughs) real problems with them, you know, really lean into that. Especially because for most of the amateur athletes, this is the right time of year to be able to do that. For professional athletes, it's not anymore. Like they're ramping up like crazy right now. Mm. But from that planning context, I think that's one of the things that that episode really didn't take into consideration very much. It was very cut and dry. It was like, this is the way it's supposed to go. Mm. And I think one of the big changes, if we were to do that episode now, especially if I was on it, we'd be talking about the rest of the life and those other influences and other pieces. There's nothing I said in that episode that I wouldn't stand behind. My issue with it was, and, and maybe best to think of it as kind of an, an intro episode when you're, you're just trying to get the basics, is it was very simplistic. I think we could take any aspect of it and say, now let's get into the nuances and the complexity. Sure, but it was also very instructional. Like, So here's the basics. Here's what you want to go do. Now we're two levels deep. This is where you need to get a coach anyway, right? Or have a bunch of experience as a self-coached athlete to be able to look back at and make good choices. But it is a great intro of here are the basics. Here's the question I have for all of you. I started out by Kaylee asked me and 
no, this was not spontaneous. This entire thing was scripted. <laughs> I remember that. But Kaylee asked me, um, you know, how would you map out a week? And what I explained was two interval sessions during the week. And I was thinking of the time crunched athlete where the longest workout you're going to get during the week might be an hour. So you use that for your intervals and then try to get that long workout in on the weekend. And then the rest should be easy. Very simple structure. How do you guys respond to that? And, and let's get into a little more of the complexity. I mean, if we're going to get into complexity, there, there's two things, techniques that I like to do. And this is piggybacking off what Grant said in that the daily lives of people and the things that pull them in different directions make this sometimes easier and sometimes harder. And so it's not a steadfast rule, but two complexities that I like to add that I think have good bang for the buck. One is pairing intensity and longer duration rides back to back, not necessarily in the same ride. I'm a huge proponent of a Tuesday workout and a Wednesday long ride. And then the same thing with a Saturday workout and a Sunday long ride. I think that being able to do that longer aerobic with some fatigue in the legs from the day before, I, I think that that's really beneficial. You know, but it's a little bit hard sometimes to get in a longer ride on Wednesday for people. The other thing that I really like to do is I'm not a big proponent of mixing intensities. I really like for people to know why they're doing their high intensity interval training and to be designing workouts that are all leading in the same direction so that the signal is ultimately amplified. And this is somewhat backed up by a paper that Dr. Seiler was a part of. Um, Silta was the lead author. It was a few different uh, universities involved. And they did an interesting study where they looked at four by four minute, four by eight minute, and four by 16 minute intervals. And one group did them from longer interval to shorter interval over the course of weeks. The other group did them, um, they started with the shorter intervals and they ended their periodization with the longest intervals. And then the last group did a mix where they did a little bit of each interval every single week. Interestingly enough, the increasing and the decreasing, the people that were focused on a particular interval type, they, for the most part, improved about the same amount in terms of physiology and performance. But that mixed group, even though the mixed group did have some improvement, they didn't have as big of improvement. And I, I, my takeaway from that is focus on VO2, focus on threshold, focus on whatever you want to focus on, but make sure you focus on that. And I try not to say do a, a VO2 interval on a Tuesday and a threshold workout on Saturday. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And what was your response? I mentioned the study by apparently Mr. Bilat. I also butchered the pronunciation of that name. I did a bad job yeah. there. Bila. Bila's study had one high intensity session and one threshold session. What was your feeling about that? Yeah, even in the Seiler study that I reference, you can improve without question. You can improve um, with a mixed, but it was the increasing and the decreasing, the groups that focused on a particular uh, workout type, they improved 6%. And the one that mixed and didn't focus, they improved about 2.5%. So it's still a 2.5% improvement, and that's great. And maybe that's great for your mental health. But in terms of just that little thing that might push physiology further, I think that that's where the focus really matters. So here's my embarrassing little tidbit for you, Rob. I don't know if you recognize when I was describing that study by Bila, but Rob and I just did a seminal episode, what, 297, two episodes ago, I think? Something like that, yeah. Where we talked about the research of Bila. And one of the, the studies that we covered, I was certain I was reading for the first time, it was that study. <laughs> I had read it and completely forgotten I had read it seven years ago. There you go. So I think my big input on that is it, years ago, I remember when I started racing triathlon, I was getting in the weeds on how I would design my week and my dad kind of chuckled and he was like, run four times a week, do one run long and do one run kind of hard and do the rest easy. And my dad's not like a high level endurance athlete or anything. This is a guy who ran for fun. And I was always impressed at how true that was to an extent, you know, do some base training do a longer effort and do efforts in there and you have most things sorted. So I do think that that framework is really good, you know, to, to emphasize what Rob's saying. I like the idea of stacking, you know, I like the idea of moving from a higher intensity to a lower intensity over days and having that lower intensity be the base at the end so that you're doing that aerobic piece fatigued. I will wholly stand by this next statement that the Seiler study is not even remotely encompasses all the energy systems that we talk about when we're training. Four by four, four by eight, four by 12. 16. 
Or 16. Sorry, it's all threshold work. No. Yes. I would argue a no. little on the 4x4s. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. The 4x4s four are supra threshold. They're still below 120 or at 120. I've had this argument for ages that there is a whole realm of training of VO2 max that is above 120% that cannot be treated as if it's 120%. Oh, sure. So, you know, I get I get a really hard time that I'm mixing energy systems. People say, well, you're doing VO2 max work. Well, I'm doing cadence work or sprint work. And that stuff's you know, off the reservation the other direction too. We don't have any research of how those mixed pieces kind of come together. And we do mix all those energy systems when we're racing. So that there's some context that I think is important to stack days of go a cadence day, go an interval day, and then go a base day at the end. And that cadence day or sprint day may have a different piece of energy system than the threshold day. That actually surprised me in this episode, knowing myself, because you know I love the threshold work. I, I love my 4 by 8s That's yeah. probably the biggest difference between you and me. Yeah. You love But your 4 by 8s are at a relatively low intensity. Yeah, mine are at a relatively low intensity. But what I was surprised listening to myself in that episode was when I was talking about interval work, I talked about the super high intensity, so the 1515s, the 3030s, the Tabatas. And then I talked about sub-threshold. Yeah. The you know, 95% of threshold. Mm -hmm. I never in that episode touched what I love, which is the threshold to the VO2 max. Right. 100% to 120%. I, I kind of surprised myself with that. Well, it doesn't. I mean, I do think that's kind of next level stuff, though. I mean, that's level two or level three, right? And this is what we were talking about a little bit of what that episode was. It was, here's the introduction to general training plan. Yeah. And I think even the stuff that Rob and I and you, we're all talking about now is that next level stuff. Okay, the basics are there. Like my dad said, you have a long day, an intense day, and the rest is pretty easy. That's the basic intro to training. And a lot of what you were, I almost said writing at the time, but you know that's what you kind of said this was, was here's a general piece of information on how to create some structure in your training. Because there's a huge part of the population that needs that because they go out every day and they just kind of go the same speed, you know, yeah. is what Neil used to refer to as moderato all the time. It's that middle place all the time. So we got to go above and we got to go below. Well, that, if I could interject from my point of view, the as an example of the self-coach athlete, I think that the way that I plan weeks is probably not too unlike a trained coach does. I think of myself a bit like a chef, and if you're creating a meal each day, sometimes you have, your body tells you it has some cravings. You haven't done this in a while. Oh, I need a little bit of that, whatever that spice might be or whatever that, whether it's carbohydrates or protein, you know, not to get the food now, go too deep down that. But I listen to my body as, you know, somebody that's not only self-coached, but not really paying attention to, I don't even have a power meter or heart rate monitor or any of that stuff. So you're going by feeling. So a lot of this, you might say is getting me 95% of the way there. It's not, not totally optimized. That's fine because the optimization process might be what takes the fun out of it. And then, yeah. I, then I get kicked down to 85% because right. I don't want to do that stuff, right? But it's this chef approach or just a coach approach. During this time period, during this part of the season, you need some of this. Okay, well, I have a repertoire of, I can pull... Right. From these five to 10 different workouts that kind of do the same thing, but get there in a different way. So it gives me some variety, gives me some an interest, gives me something different to do. But ultimately, it gets me sort of to the same place. And then the next phase comes along and have these other things to choose from, these other ingredients yeah. to choose from. So that's kind of how I look at it. And of course, there's always, always the calendar sitting in front of me that says, oh, I've got this thing going on. Oh, my daughter has this thing going on. And I just, it's clay. Mm -hmm. I just mold around life. I don't mold life around training. I think that's a hugely important point. And that's something that, that's a nuance that this episode didn't get to or couldn't get to in 22 minutes, right? Is how do you mold these things to make it work for you as an individual with your lifestyle and with what was going on? And we kind of mentioned that earlier. Yeah, I will say if this episode was an article, I think the best way to describe it was, it was that real basic intro. And I would in the article after every paragraph put 
for more detail, for more nuance, you know, check out these five episodes. Right. And then get to the next paragraph and then check out these five episodes. But you had to start somewhere. Right. And that's what you were writing at the time for Vela News. That's a lot of what Vela News was at the time, too. It didn't go very deep. They knew who their audience was and they stuck to that audience. Here's the race coverage. Here's some very basic stuff about how to ride your bike and how to train. Fast Talk Laboratories offers deep dives into your favorite training topics like intervals, polarized training, data analysis, and sports nutrition. Take a look now at our cycling-based training pathway. Now is the perfect time to see how to lay the perfect foundation for an awesome season. In our new guide to cycling-based training, experts Joe Friel, Dr. Steven Seiler, Brian Kohler, Dr. Annie Pruitt, and I show why good base training isn't just about riding endless miles. We share how to plan and structure your base season, how to monitor your efforts, and how to track your fitness gains so you start your next training phase with a strong aerobic engine. See more at fasttalklabs.com slash pathways. Anything else you guys would like to add to this episode as a, a bit of an update? Nope. <laughs> I was just waiting for Rob to just tear apart what I was saying. Rob, you got to have something else. I got a point of contention with you here, Trevor. Uh-oh. Kaylee said he had a 300-watt. And, and let's be honest, he was making this up, that he had a 300-watt threshold, right? And you recommended that he rides his base intensity at 150 watts. I think that's too easy, not going to lie. That's pretty low. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, good. When I was doing base rides, it was going through my head as I knew where my threshold was at, and I used to do my base rides kind of 160 to, to 180. But we're coming full circle now that we come back to a lot of stuff that's saying, you know, you can go really easy on your long, slow rides. It's duration more than it's what you're doing from the wattage point of view. So you were both right, though Trevor wasn't trying to be right. And I think he just screwed up what he was saying (laughs) at the time. I I don't know if this is relevant, but if I remember correctly, Kaylee was one of those people from a coaching point of view. Well, not even from a coaching point of view, from a personal point of view, he frustrated you. Kind of like (laughs) I frustrated you. In in wow, that we no 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 in in that in that like I said I'm not sure if this is relevant but we don't have massive peaks or valleys yes. you know what I'm saying oh, you get, no you're getting it. Kaylee was like you in that he could take a month off the bike and still be race ready where I take a month off a bike and you're in a hole that I, you have to I climb am out in of a giant giant hole that I so yes Kaylee he just never really changed he get a little stronger. He would also never really get much weaker. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not sure if it's relevant, but just for people out there to know that about that recommendation. The other thing I'll say too about this base riding intensity is I would rather have somebody err on the side of too low than too high, to tell you the truth, right? If their base range, I'm like pretty solid is 160 to 200 watts. I'll often prescribe either exactly in the middle or slightly on the low side, because if you prescribe 200 watts, you know that person is riding 210 to 215 to 220. Let's be honest. I can't remember my thought process seven years ago. I can't remember my thought process a week ago. Well, that's fine. I'm calling you out on it today, so make something up. (laughs) I'm guessing this was the first time we did that. I think I was going for a bit of a shock factor. Dude, I think you just got the math. I think you just got the math wrong. (laughs) Okay. No, he's thinking I'm in his head. I'm, I'm not going to try to say this. He's one. thinking in his head. He's like, he's, okay, I said by could, 60% of said? 300. So, so wait a minute. Here's, here, though, here's what I'm going to say. Six times five, 30, almost 300. If I could 300. update that number now, my recommendation would be 160, 170 top. What? Yep. Because you'd go, you're, well, but that's not much different than what you're saying, Rob. That's not yeah, much different not much than aiming for the low side. Aiming right? for the low side with a little wiggle room. Because they know, well, you know, Kaylee's going to ride I'm higher about than that. Lying to the athlete, yeah, because they're going to ride <laughs> higher than I think an actual base but zone is higher. Until I tell you the truth, this is a nuance <laughs> that we didn't go into. Is I have two long base rides for my athletes. There's just the standard base ride, which I want to be very slow, and then there's that zone two, trying to hit that aerobic threshold, and it's it's much more precise. This informs a lot of the conversations that I've had with you and some of them even online that I've actually kind of struggled to understand why you were saying what you were saying. Because you, we had a conversation about the value of base rides and you view half of your base rides like I view recovery and the other half of your base rides like actual base riding. And that point has always thrown me off. You're just learning this now, Rob? 
No, it's so weird. This gets into to some of the nuances, and I don't know how much we've gotten into this in the show. I think we actually covered this in this episode. So my base rides, I, I have two names for them. LSD for long, slow distance, and then LSS, which is that, so long, so steady, which is that more aerobic threshold ride. And when I learned about aerobic threshold and the definition, I wanted to change the name of those rides to AET rides. And all my athletes revolted and said, we love LSS. Dude, didn't we do a whole episode on this crap? <laughs> we might have, but I've just explained to you my, my process. So LSD, I want slow. I want much easier. That LSS is in a much tighter range trying to hit that aerobic threshold. So I don't know Kaylee's numbers. I'll give you my numbers. When I'm doing an LSD ride, it's 180 or below. When I'm doing LSS, Power-wise, it's going to be about 210 to 230. It's going to be in a tight range. Yeah, and you just can't call both of those base. That's my <laughs> <other> <laughs> This comes back to Rob's original point. Call them whatever the hell you want. Just don't call them base. <laughs> They're both below aerobic threshold, so technically... But that's fine. By base, you're basically saying, basically saying, in a three-zone model, they're zone one. They're both in the zone one, so they both kind of get the same name. Exactly. Right, but this is my uh, whole every, problem with everything above threshold. Even in the five-zone model, everything above 110 is purple. <laughs> you're purple. <laughs> I'm turning purple. <laughs> but I agree with you. So, so here's my point. Rob was talking about cooking. These are the spices, Rob. I have different spices no, in my Chris was talking about Chris was talking chef. about cooking. Oh, Dude, you're chef. losing Chris it, man. That. And, and, and if we had Colby here, he'd add a little bit of salt right on the top. Right. right. So oh, I think the argument that we're making is Rob has no flavor. That's true. Wow. No. I have wow. plenty of flavor. <laughs> he just <I> accurately <laughs> described vanilla, flavor. Vanilla Rob. Uh, Rob I'm not, vanilla. Rob's, I'm just, not a- <laughs> Rob's just out here screaming that crushed red pepper and oregano don't belong in the same category. Yeah, exactly. You're not handing you an apple and telling you it tastes like a steak. That was a little too far. (laughs) Basil and oregano don't belong in the same category. Is that better? I think they do. Okay. (laughs) They're both Italian. (laughs) 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 On that note, this has been another. (laughs) Do it. Anything else we want to rip apart here? I think I have been sufficiently chastised. I think we're good. All right. Thanks, guys. That was another episode of Fast Talk. The thoughts and opinions expressed in Fast Talk are those of the individual. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. As always, we love your feedback. Tweet us at, at Fast Talk Labs. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com or learn from our experts at fasttalklabs.com. For Rob Pickles, Rand Holicky, Chris Case, Chris Phipps, and Dr. John Holly, I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening.